All right, we got to get our thoughts out on Winter's Tale before the Indian food comes. <laughs> <laughs> we ordered so much Indian food. It's going to be so good. I'm so excited. They cost $7 just for a delivery fee. Yeah, Seamless, what are you doing? And that's how I know that I'm elderly, that I'm like, $7 for a delivery fee. <laughs> Whereas I'm living my Lucille Bluth life of, what's a banana? $12. <laughs> It's probably the wrong What's number. the deal? Oh, I was talking to one of my students the other day, and they one of us was making some like very you know cliche joke, um, and they were talking about uh, flying, and I said, "Oh, what's the deal with airplane food?" And the kid said, oh, "I never like airplane food." Just like a hundred percent pure reaction. Wow! So it's gone so long that now you can make that joke and seem like the genius thinking of that joke. You heard it here first. Gen Z doesn't know about airplane food jokes. They don't. You, you've got it. Hello, noble patrons. Hello, gentles all. And welcome to What You Will, a tedious and brief Shakespeare podcast. I'm Charlotte Aline with a cold. And I'm Danielle Cohn, not with a cold. That's why I sound so sultry and or like a who. I did think you said with a cult. With a cold. And I was like, I mean, I don't think we have enough listeners for that just yet, but maybe one day. This this pop filter is really doing not a lot. It's kind of just flaccidly hanging in front of the microphone. But nonetheless, we're here to tell you all about more of The The Winter's Winter's Tale. Tale. Danielle, it's spring now. It is spring now. I know it's December in and our it's world, cold but... Out. <laughs> um, but uh, it's spring in the world of the Winter's Tale. Yeah, so last episode we brought you thoughts on mostly the first half of the play and those sort of big, big themes and <laughs> the stuff. The first half and also all of the play. All of the play. So... All of the play. And, but we really didn't get into the nitty gritty on the second half of we the didn't play. Get, we which didn't is get the fun part. Deep into the sheep shearing festival. So today we bring you a lot of thoughts and feelings about how. Perdita and Florizel are one of the best Shakespearean Shakespearean couples. Maybe the best. They are so good. And literally I wrote down Florizel and Perdita are so underrated. They're so underrated. I mean, they get very little screen time, I think is why. But like they actually, okay, reasons that they are the best. Let's just alternate. One, they fall in love with each other, not only because they're both hot, but because of who they are. Two, Florizel stands by her, even though every other man in this play is like, I saw you talk to my friend. You're a whore. Three, uh, serious uh, Prince Harry, Meghan Markle vibes. <laughs> yes. Where he's like, you know what? Like, one, everything's going to be fine. We're just going to get married. Two, I'd rather be with her than be the prince. Yes. I mean, he's still the prince. I mean, but he like would be down for his, his dad's like, I'm going to disown you. Yeah. But yeah, he's still the prince. This is what I mean. I think he knows it's all going to be fucking fine. (laughs) I do feel like he never really doubts it. But also they're actually in love, unlike Will and Kate. Fight me. Also their love scene is like... Will's cheating on Kate, just so everyone knows. Okay. That's like a conspiracy about... Is Will Will the other one? (laughs) (laughs) Will's the prince. The first prince. One of the princes. The ugly one, right? Oh. Well, the... Not the ugly one. But I mean, but he's not. Prince he's Harry. ugly because his soul shines through his face. How dare you cheat on Kate? She's so wonderful. That's it's like a conspiracy theory, but 
I think it's true. Also, and, men are but Meg, Megan and Harry are actually in love. They're perfect. Um, also, their love scene, Florizel and Perdita, not Kate and whoever her <laughs> husband is, um, are so... Kate Middleton and her husband. <laughs> her husband, the prince. Um, I love... Their love scene is in this, like, very messy iambic pentameter, which yeah, makes me happy because it's, like... Yeah, it's, like, rushed and silly and, like... But also the heightenedness of lovers because most of this part of the play, including when they go back to the Bohemia, yeah. is in prose. Yeah. I think it's funny that they like yeah. bring the spring with them linguistically because we've been in all this iambic pentameter at the beginning of the play. Yes, yeah, Cecilia is all in verse. Yeah, and then we get into the the clowns and the woods and or not the woods, but the sheep shearing festival. The Bebo M. Yeah, and everybody's in prose and it's fun and it's funny. And then even when we go back, we're still in that world linguistically, s- structurally. Yeah, like the the, pro- the prose the uh, verse is a little more yeah. relaxed. Um, and also, this is not really a point of why they're a good couple. I just really liked this line of exposition that I don't have in front of me, because as usual, I refuse to do any research for this podcast. But when they're, like, cuddling and being cute, and he's like, yeah, good thing my hawk flew across your father's land, and we had a meet-cute. I just love that their meet-cute was, like, he lost his hawk. And he, like, bumped into her. And it's they were very like, Sleeping Beauty. Uh, it's very Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, she, Perdita is more of a Disney princess than a lot of the princesses you find in Shakespeare. I think their love story is also so much of what, for me, makes this play, even more than most of Shakespeare's other plays, feel like a fairy tale. Yeah. Because there's, like, all of these elements that feel sort of fairy tale-esque, but in, like, a Grimm's Brothers way at the beginning of the play. Well, it's... It's um, because it's simultaneous got the fairy tale energy and also what we were talking about last week where so much of the magic is like undercut yeah by so it's like you can watch the play and take it as a fairy tale or you can watch the play and take it as a be- brutally realist deconstruction of a fairy tale yeah but then you still have this like lovely little love story of two people who just they uh, love each other and they're gonna make it work. How did Florizel turn out so well? Because his dad sucks and Perdita's dad also sucks. His dad, yeah. That's also I don't think we got super into uh, the the Polixenes. I was searching for that name for a second. <laughs> the Polixenes Florizel relationship last time. Yeah, it's one of the things that I think is interesting about Polixenes, and also I think sort of deeply human. Yeah is that one of my notes about him at the beginning of the play is that in so many ways he was like Leontes opposites yeah. because he literally as soon as he he basically sees that things are weird immediately mm-hmm. and he's also perceptive enough to understand why even though he's not like he's not super forgiving of it in the way that say Hermione is yeah. but he literally has a line where he's like oh well, as she is rare, his anger is going to be really great. And as he is mighty, his anger is going to be violent. And as I am dear to him, his anger is going to be bitter. And so it's like he's reasoning this through. He totally sees the situation. And again, without forgiving it, totally gets it. Mm-hmm. So then it's funny to be like, oh, okay, he gets it. He's cool. And then to see in the second half of the play, but when it's about his own son, yeah. <laughs> he loses his well, mind. You're also like, oh, this is why Leontes and Polixenes were best friends, because <laughs> they're both possessive nightmare people. Yeah. Um, but I also think it's really interesting how it kind of drives home the point that, like, yes, a lot of Leontes snapping is one, you know, maybe just like a brain chemistry dealio, two... 
uh, definitely rooted in a lot of misogyny. But three, also this sort of like fragile masculinity insecurity or just like really fragile human insecurity of like, oh no, the people who love me don't really love me and everyone's lying. Because Polixenes isn't, he's a little bit like, mm, not sure if I'm okay with my son shacking up with a shepherd girl. But he's like cool with it until he, in his disguise, is like, don't you want to invite your old man to your wedding? And Florizel's like, no, for sure not. He wouldn't understand. Then Polixenes gets upset. It's because Florizel is like, no, my dad has shown me through his actions that he's not chill at all. And Polixenes is like, how dare you? I'm very chill. I but hate you. But then also, at least I have a teeny tiny bit more sympathy for Polixenes than More Leontes, than Leontes, yes. Because like, <laughs> at least for him, the thing he's upset about is happening. <laughs> Where he's like, That's he's like, true. I'm really hurt that you're not inviting me to your wedding that you for sure are having right now. <laughs> but it's also like, if he, he does fly into a rage, he does try yes, to disown yeah, him. No. He does go take it too far. But also, um, I don't know. My kid the... tried to not invite me to their wedding, even after I was like, aren't you forgetting somebody? Sure, certainly on the bad dad list, Leontes is the worst dad, hands down. No contest there. Yeah. But I, I do think Polixenes, <laughs> it, again, it's coming from this insecurity where he's like, everyone hates me. Maybe if I scream at them, they'll love me. It's like the line in a very Potter musical when Voldemort's like, you'd think that killing people would make them like you, but it just makes people dead. <laughs> um, Good, Paul. Yeah. Good, Paul. Both of these men are like, maybe if I scream at everyone, then everyone one will give me love and affection and um yeah and it's also this kind of like if you love people and you want them to like love and trust you you have to love and trust them and like be cool with you know trust that they're not gonna betray you as soon as they're out of eyesight totally um, but also it's like polixenes is one of those classic i mean you know classic tragic figure where it's like it's not the situation it's how you handle the situation absolutely like if he had disrobed himself and been like well surprise hey you know what i respect that you're eloping but it does make me sad because i'm your dad and i i do support so this just, marriage just guilt trip the shit out yeah of him. if he had guilt tripped him instead of yelling at him being like <laughs> you're grounded for marrying a shepherd and i'm gonna murder her dad i know and it's also <laughs> so insane because it's like a weird surprise that again I think pretty clearly just comes out of feeling hurt yeah. that he wasn't invited to the wedding he goes in disguise to the sheep shearing festival so like let's be real he already knows what's up yes two he like then spends the whole scene being like wow she's really pretty wow everyone here is super nice yeah I could get down with this yeah and then it's only when he's like wait no you're getting married like right now like i yeah he's like he's like actually fuck all of this and fuck all of you (laughs) it's also it's uh okay sorry i had like four different um thoughts and wouldn't wouldn't you know a lot of them are about the proletariat uh with this bohemia scene because this is we haven't gotten like common people until this point in the play Mm -hmm. um and i think there's this interesting duality that simultaneously the common people are like yes played for jokes a lot more and also with Perdita, you've got that double whammy of, like, they think she's really cool and awesome and, like, her hot prince boyfriend doesn't care that she's a shepherdess. But also there's a lot of the language of, like, the nobility shines through her because she's of noble Exactly. Blood. It's very Esmeralda. Like, it's yeah. very... There are a lot of, I think, examples in literature where they're, like... Obviously, this person was too hot and wonderful to be a common person. They secretly have noble blood. 
Yeah, the like the original um, twist in with Hunchback of Notre Dame is that Esmeralda is not a Romani girl at all. She's a stolen white baby. Surprise! But Disney smartly was like, no, let's not do that. Let's not part. do that part. Um, although, you and then know. they wrote God Help the Outcasts, which is yeah. beautiful. And then, I mean, is their portrayal of the Romani people perfect? No. no. Are we qualified to talk about it? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> not in this podcast. Not in this podcast. Um, yeah, so I, I think that was an interesting thing. And we've also got Atelicus, who I don't want to talk about, but we have to. Um, but you he, have to. Uh, he's also that classic, like, the poor servant who is full of tricks. So there's this interesting. Yeah, I know. There's this interesting duality of like the poor people are more are more nurturing and honest, but also they're goofier. But also, it doesn't fucking matter that she's a shepherd. Uh, she's still a good person, but also she's a good person because she has noble blood. So it's all a mess. Yeah, and also like they're they're chiller about her marriage and everything. Yes. But also, they're as soon as there's danger, they're like, we're gonna go tell the king just so that he knows that. We're not her real dad. I know. I do feel bad. Although also, like, fair. Like, you don't want to die. It's fair. And it's not like they're selling her out in any way, but they're like, let's distance ourselves from the situation. I know. It is sad, though, that her uh, father and brother are, like, super down for her marriage to Florizel. Her brother, clown. Her brother, clown. Um, I know. I love that clown's, like, opening gambit to now we're in Bohemia after it's been all, like, kings and princes and death. He's like... Oh, uh, my sister is throwing a party. <laughs> You're immediately like, oh, okay. The stakes have changed drastically yes. from earlier in the play. Um, uh, I love, I do love Clown and Shepard a lot. Yeah, they're just, there's something sweet about them, and I like that they play off of each other. Also, a lot of their comedy is like, I mean, genuinely funny. Genuinely like, funny. I love his bit where he's like, God, I don't want to do my 20s again. That sounds like the worst. Yeah. <laughs> I felt very seen by that. <laughs> <laughs> also, like, this is skipping ahead, but once they're in uh, Bohemia, no, not the other one, once they're in uh, Sicilia, they're very, like, uh, they have that, that great riff where they both become gentlemen because their uh, sister slash daughter marries into, you know, is revealed to be royal, and so they're both, like, made royal as well uh, as her adoptive family, and they have a great riff of, like, now that we are gentlemen born, I, I shed a tear and it was a gentleman's tear. And it's just, like, very funny, but also drives home how kind of arbitrary these, like, class distinctions are. Mm-hmm. Also, okay, so Atollicus. I just... <laughs> I want to like him because I like this part of the play, but I found, I feel like a, in a funny person's hands, he would be very fun and charming. And like, I like that his, he stylistically sets this part apart because he's he, doing the like song and directed dress, but his objective, and correct me if I'm wrong, is muddy. He's like, I just want to be bad. And it's he, like almost comical because he keeps trying to do bad things and then doing good things by accident. Kind of. He's also just like, he is Dick Van Dyke in Mary Poppins up in this play, where you're just like, here's this guy. It's also, he's very like, presents himself in this weird like narration-y way, where he's like, it's me, Autolycus, and you're like, are we supposed to know this guy? You're like, also, it's been half of a play and we haven't had anything like this. Why are you talking to me? (laughs) And his whole shtick is that he, every time he comes out, he's like in a different disguise. It's very, I love Lucy. I also want to talk about the like disguises that happen in the second half of this play because they get, they get out of pocket very quickly. Um, We're not floor, yeah, we'll get there. Oh, but first, uh, Autolycus is also that, 
Also, if he can sing real good, you're right. Really, Dick Van Dyke. You just need someone charming. He's just like a fun addition. He's relevant to the plot. He he gets Clown and Shepherd to uh, Cecilia. Yes. Um, and like helps them disguise himself. But like first, he he robs. He pretends to have been robbed and robs Clown. Yep. And then he's comes back and he's suddenly like a peddler of wares. Yes, and he like starts teasing everyone because all that you should buy all of your ladies things. Yeah, and he sings a whole song about, like, buy stuff for your girlfriend. And Clown has two girlfriends also. We should maybe talk about Mo- Mopsa and Dorcas. Um, Clown, yeah, Bohemia is, like, it's quite Bohemian over yeah. there. Um, yeah. But there's, he has a favorite one, though, right? Doesn't I forget which one it is. It's Sorry, either Mopsa, Mopsa or, or Dorcas. He does, but then at the but they, like, are kind of snippy with each other. And then at the end, he's like, I'll buy stuff for both of you. And then I think he's like, what's the cheapest thing yeah. to, to a tele- Again, like, it's good comedy, but it's like everything in this play has been moving the plot forward. And suddenly we're, we're like, stop here's do. a song about flowers. Here's a song about sheep. <laughs> here's a song about peddling. Where's to? Wait, so Atullicus was a royal servant, right? I think so. <laughs> I mean, sorry, everybody. Sorry, scholars. Um we read this play. Oh, I'm Googling it. I'm yeah. going to Google it. Another... And while you're Googling it, I'm going to tell you my two favorite lines in this play because my new favorite sub game for this podcast is that as I read, I write down my favorite out-of-context Shakespeare line in the play. Uh-huh. And for this one, it's a it's a tie between Polixenes, hence, let us avoid, and Atullicus, very yeah. wisely, puppies. <laughs> he, uh, he was one of Florizel's servants. Yes. Um... He's all, he's like just fun. He's mostly just he's, fun. He like doesn't really want to like. He doesn't. He doesn't want. He, he's know. weirdly. I mean, if you're gonna go the route of very like storytelling on top of storytelling, yeah, he's kind of like the hand of the author in terms of like he just like he accidentally but puts kind of on purpose together. puts everything together. He. Uh, ends up revealing Perdita's identity because he gets her dad, Shepard, and her brother, Clown, uh, to sneak onto the ship to go to Sicilia to plead their case. And then they have all the, like, her baby gold. Um, He's just there. It's also just, like, the play... (laughs) I mean, it's fun. Well, if you you have a lot of, like, fun singing and dancing, the Sheep Sharing Festival is fun. And if you do it in the same, like, tone that the rest of the play is in, it's deadly dull. Yeah, just like, wow. Because <laughs> so little plot happens in this section. Um, but also, sorry, we're just, like, ping-ponging all over the place. We already said Wintercell is going to be our most frantic and weirdly organized so much to say. pod. Because um, we have a lot to say. And also, I mean, the play is weirdly organized. So yeah. take that, Shakespeare. Take that. Um, but I think it's also interesting they give Perdita a lot of this, like, Ophelia-style language about flowers and yes. nature, and they really al- align her with, like, the natural and the the floral. And also, it's also to be- make it clear that she's very smart, in addition to being stupid Beautiful. hot. Yeah. Everyone keeps saying, like, wow, she's way too hot to be a shepherd. I know! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I was talking about with the classism. Yeah. But I like that Florizel doesn't say that stuff. Maybe he does. No, he doesn't. I, we it's read one this of a the few things. No, no, ago. no. It's one of the things I yeah. like about him is is he also is just like, no, this is like my very cool girlfriend. He really doesn't seem too cut up about. I also one of my favorite Florizel Perdita moments in the whole dang show is so they go to Sicilia. 
um, to like plead their case and they don't know that it's her dad, but to plead their case in front of Leontes because they know that he used to be BFFs with Flixenes. And Florizel's like, I'm Florizel of Bohemia and this is my girlfriend. She's from Libya. And then almost instantly a servant comes in and is like, hey, Polixenes is here and he's really mad this girl's a shepherd. And they're like, I'm sorry we lied. She's not from Libya. <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> The like two dumb teens lying. It's just the dumbest lie because it is immediately debunked. <laughs> I love it. It's it, very good. It is. It's also And just... it also wasn't even their idea. Like they were told to make that lie. Oh, it's yeah. Stupid. So speaking of um them being told to lie, the disguising and Camillo disguising them. One of my favorite lines from this section is they like they uh they disguise Florizel to make him look less like a prince even though he was already dressed like a shepherd. But they're like, we'll disguise you more. And then when they finish disguising him, they just hand him a mustache. But then they they finish. Camilla says, no, you shan't have a hat. And takes away his hat. And I'm like, then what the fuck is this disguise? No, you shan't have a hat. Just the storytelling of who recognizes who in disguise is pretty pretty wild. Yeah. No one recognizes Autolycus ever. Yeah. Clown doesn't recognize him from one scene to the next. So he's he's the master of disguise. Yes, um, but like in that movie, Polixenes knows it's Florizel, even though he's like kind of dressed like a shepherd. But Florizel doesn't but also, know it's Polixenes his dad. Polixenes knows that Florizel's there. He's yes. gone to like go see him, and also Florizel probably doesn't have to super disguise himself because it sounds like he's been hanging around. Sure, he's just like wearing normal shepherd clothes, clothes and not yeah. prince, not as pretty. But then when he switches clothes with Atulicus, Atulicus is like, "Look at my nice prince clothes." So maybe he was just wearing rich people clothes and going by a different name? Yeah. he's going or, by, like, Doricles. Yeah. And he's, like, maybe he's just wearing, like, a cloak over his normal <laughs> clothes. Yes. Yeah. But, and then, um, yeah, so Polixenes' disguise is complete, though. Florcel does not recognize him. No. Uh, it's just, like, a lot of, uh, how are we keeping track of who can tell who who is? Yes. And speaking of part. who can tell who who is, <laughs> um, let's talk about the weird way this play does the classic comedy <gasps> reveal. Yes. Because unlike a lot of Shakespeare plays, although I'm realizing I'm saying that every time, so I think actually he does subvert his own genre most times. Oh, yeah, all the time. In one way or another. Yes. But we, we always have to have the act five, like, here's what actually happened. Now everybody knows the truth. Um, but in this one, instead of doing it on stage, uh, they have the servants come on. Yeah. Sorry, did you have... No, I was going to be that? like, let's talk about that. Yeah, okay. So I'm stealing um, this a little bit from other scholars, but I think it's so smart that they do that because if we saw that scene, it would take away the impact of the Hermione reveal and reunion. It would be too many reunion scenes because, like, in oh. Pericles, where there are, like, five goddamn reunions, and you're like, can this play fucking end? Um, and then my other thing about it... so That's like, really cool, because I basically saw it and was, like, already thinking from the playmaker's <laughs> perspective of, like, God, how do you make this interesting? This is so Greek drama-y. Like, this is what happened off stage. It is. And also, it's all stuff we already figure happened off stage. So, like, you just gotta have some really charismatic gentlemen. <laughs> gentlemen. I, I do think it, it feeds into a lot of the themes we've been talking about, though, uh, with like the fairy tale esque, where like you know that that revelation is coming, and Shakespeare knows that you know, and everyone's kind of on the same team in terms of like this we don't even coming. need to see this scene. We can just see people reacting to this scene. 
haha, you thought I was going to show you a boring uh, revelation scene. Um, and then also, I think, depending on, you know, your directorial vision and choices and whatnot, you can have a lot of fun with, like, we're zooming out a little bit to telling the story now. Um, so it, it's like the story has become so hyper aware of itself. It's true. It is Shakespeare's most meta play. It's very, well, The Tempest is Shakespeare's oh, most that's meta true, play. That's true, that's true, that's true. But this is Shakespeare's second most meta play. <laughs> it's a very meta play. Um, except for uh, the, what, the line in like Hamlet or whatever. It's like, don't let your clowns improvise. Don't let your clowns grow up to be cowboys. <laughs> Shakespeare's anti-improv. You heard it here. He wasn't a lot of shit was probably improv. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think about that scene? I mean, my honest first reaction was I was like, I'm a little bit bored because they're just <laughs> telling me what's happened and I also figure it's happened. But I like both of what you said as, as a way to spice it up and also give it a little more thematic relevance. I also think it's a play where we've seen a lot of the royal people and then we've seen the shepherd people. So <gasps> That's our food. Hang on. <laughs> well, now you know we got to wrap it up. Um, no. So we've seen a lot of the... the the commoners and also the the rich people or, or the royal people but this is kind of a chance to see like the other people and the people mm. who will like see the story um i don't know where i left off anyway basically so you see the the royal people, the the royal people. people. yeah but now we see like uh, one more group of people who we've seen a bit of and yeah. also they're the people who would be like gossiping and theoretically disseminating the story and in a story that is you know largely about these different stories also winter's tale meaning like old wives tale yeah in addition to being about all of this like passage of time and winter versus spring um i don't know it, it makes sense and i also think again it's a chance to get a different moment a different aesthetic a different tone a different you know give give a couple actors a chance to shine yeah 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 like honestly i again i my production of this would be super meta and like have the play basically end after cecilia and the rest would be all like with found objects and mm -hmm. garbage um but i i do think this is this weird opportunity okay i'm gonna reference david foster wallace but i need everyone to not be mad at me um, so it reminds okay. me of the David Foster Wallace short story, uh, where it, there's a, it's a, you know written as a traditional short story for the most part, and it's uh, this woman is afraid that her husband is cheating on her, and it's all her kind of like psychological descent into madness as she try, tries to figure out why her loving husband would do this and what's going on, um, and then she finally gets to the bottom of it and realizes he just has a masturbation addiction, and so he's not cheating on her, he's just like watching porn all the time and the rest and the once she has that revelation the story becomes simpler and faster like it, it then becomes an outline of the rest of the story and then it becomes just like a really slapdash like bullet point summary of her like what oh. she does with the rest of her life and kind of like oh oh shit okay i built all this stuff up in my head to be this thing that it wasn't and now that i've had the revelation we're not really interested in sitting in it anymore um, I don't know. There, I mean, there, there are many different ways to interpret it. Interpret it. Um, but I think it's interesting that we basically get bullet points for, like, the yeah. thing that the play has been building to, which kind of tells you, oh, was the play not really building to this? Yeah, it's because really the play is building to the reveal with Hermione. Yeah. Which is what we really want. Yeah, and it, it's also this kind of weird, oh, you know, maybe everyone realizing who they secretly are 
isn't the culmination of everyone's life. Yeah. Um, the same way that Leontes kind of lives out the end of a tragedy at the beginning of the play, and then he has to keep going for 16 years. It's true. I did appreciate that there was a reference um, in, uh, God, which act? Oh, this is actually an act two, so this is going back a little bit. But to the fact that he, like, hasn't been sleeping, which yeah. is very Macbethian. Yeah. But that it happens, that happens after he's done a bunch of shit. So it's also not, excu- or after he's already had his break, and his yeah. mental break. So it's not excusing him. It's just, like, heightening how, like, crazy he's being. I don't know. Yeah. It, it's also... And then, theoretically, he's had... Paulina just there the rest of the 16 years being like, you suck. You know who sucks? You. You suck. Just so much. Every day. Um, she's like full on, you know, in like Lord of the Rings or basically any fantasy media where there's always like the Grand Vizier who's like, yes, sire. But like, yes, is, but is you know, evil. Named like Worm Dick and is like really creepy. Worm Dick. Um, yeah, she's like just, like I, I love at one point someone's like, have you ever thought about remarrying? It's been 16 years and Paulina's like, fuck you, he remarries what I say he does. Yeah. And then, oh, this this is another thing that I think ties into the weird uh, summary scene where we don't actually, Daniel's looking longingly at our Indian food. Um, <laughs> almost done. Uh, this ties into the summary scene that we just talked about where the people are like, ah, oh, did you hear? Everything was revealed and this shepherd's a princess. Pretty cool. It kind of... Like, if we got that scene and Hermione, it would be so much of Leontes getting what he wants and getting to be so happy and getting to be forgiven. Yeah. And the play is weirdly like, eh, Leontes, you just get a little bit of that. We forgive you, but you were a big creep. Yeah. Um, Especially because when he meets Perdita, he's like, oh, you guys make me sad. You're the ages that my kids would have been. Which, like, fine. It's his fault that his kids are dead. Yeah. Uh, Or he thinks that both his kids are dead. But um, one of his kids is dead. Mamilius is also straight up dead. At the end, everyone's like, everything is happy. I know. Nothing was ever My sad at all. My like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Mamilius is still dead. Just straight up dead. Um, poor Mamilius. If you don't give him the time monologue, you are mean to Mamilius. Um, but I, I, there's also that weird, creepy line in the first scene where they're like, this is my girlfriend from Libya, uh, where he's like, she's hot man, I would bang her, and Paulina shuts it down so fast, which is appropriate, because, I mean, Paulina's kind of mean. She's like, Perdita's not as hot as your dead wife, fuck you. But also, Perdita's, like, 16. Yeah. So it's very appropriate that Paulina shuts it down. Yeah. But it's also, like, we don't get that fully satisfying, cuddly, oh, Leontes is totally fine now. No. Not as long as Paulina can draw no. a breath. Also, before we eat our Indian food, Thank you, Danielle. You've been very patient with me. No, thank you. Um, Camilla and Paulina get married at the end. <sighs> She's into someone she can dominate. <laughs> okay. And they both, like, sort of help. It's she just, helps a lot. He helps a little. It's so... It, to me, is one They're of both, those... like, a little sneaky. She's better at being sneaky than he is. I just... Something that I love that Shakespeare does in almost all of his comedies is, like, the end, it'll be like, now everything is fine. Oh, here's one thing that's not fine. Deal with it. Yeah, or... Well, I like that way of looking at it because it often feels like it's like, now everything is fine. Uh, everybody has to get married. You get married. Yeah, so often that happens, It's too. also a... It's, it's interesting in how they're staged, especially in modern times, 
of when those things are like, oh, good, good. Everybody's got somebody to snuggle with on this some spring day um, for the next winter. Cuffing season, whatever. I'm just having a stroke. Um, but, or when it's like, oh, no, wait, what? And everyone's just like, oh, cool, I guess. We're still just being told what to do by the kings. Who sometimes go mad. And that's when it's winter again. Mm-hmm. Does it start? Do, are they like, and Paul and Camilla, you have to get married, and then like it starts snowing, and it's like, oh shit, here we go again. Here we go again. It's the winter again. No, honestly, my end of winter set would be everyone is like cuddling and happy, and then we hear a, the growl, a growl off stage, and everyone goes, <gasps> and then it, it. And they all run and, off, pursued by a bear who takes no, the it, first bow. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we can eat our Indian food now. Cool. Hello, and welcome back to more The Winter's Tale. Which you presumably have been <laughs> listening to not ten seconds ago. Uh, we're this is seamless and definitely not a different day for us. Audio magic. Yes. We're here with two very special guests, Jean and Margaret. If you'd care to introduce yourselves, tell us a, a little bit about what you do. I'm Margaret. I act. I've been friends with Jean since we were kind of teenagers, I think. And we uh, did this play back at Hofstra a long time ago, and... Uh, I act, I'm a mom, I'm an activist, and I'm uh, part of this group. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Hi, I'm Jean, Jean Taffler. Um, Shall I divulge that I'm actually the mother of Charlotte Aline? This is my (laughs) mom. Who's bound to come out. (laughs) Um, And uh, I am a friend of Margaret Cullen, and we met in college, and... um, Yes, we did Winter's Tale in college, and I also did Winter's Tale later on, uh, about 20 years ago. (laughs) Uh, I I played Hermione as well, and uh, have done a bunch of Shakespeare, and I'm also an actor and a producer and the managing director of a theater company. Awesome. What's the name of that theater company? (laughs) Fat Night (laughs) Theater. Excellent. Of which I think we're all on the board. We're all on the board. Yes, we are all on the board of Fat Night Theater. We're big fans. Check it out. Um, So, what do you both... Remember about your college production of The Winter's Tale. Yes. Tell us, who did you play? play? What was it like? Well, I remember a lot more of it since I listened to your podcast. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) It was like a a seminar in Shakespeare. And and, and, uh, I remember the bear. I'd forgotten about the bear. (laughs) Right? The bear is essential. Do you guys remember how your productions did the bear? Do you? Okay, so now this was, uh, I played Perdita. I played Hermione. Yes. And we, although, I'm a year older than Margaret. Oh, stop it. <laughs> I am. But she's taller. So, I'm of taller, course, she so. played my mom. In yeah. college years, that makes you yeah, mom that makes you older. Yes. But I do remember that uh, Dr. Mason, who was the director, and he was quite uh, an interesting character. Yeah. And a good director, but he almost, oh. he almost directed filmically, you know. He added a scene before the first act. Pre-11. Oh, Pre-11, oh, yeah. it called it. And I do remember there was... It was like a street scene. I was like some like street urchin girl. There were boys tormenting me with a bear head. Ooh. They were like tormenting me. Joe Minatella was one of the boys. Uh, <laughs> they were tormenting me with the, with the bear head. And then uh, they chased me around. I don't know what else was happening. And uh, th- there was a there was a second level because we did this on the on the globe on stage. The globe, yeah. uh, it was a replica of the globe stage at, at Hofstra. And so there was a second level and uh, this. Joel San- Sandberg? Was that his name? Joel Sandberg? I don't know. Joel, <laughs> uh, who also later played Polixenes. 
Wait, not Polixenes. Leontes? No, no. Leoscotic. No, who was uh, Polina's husband? Antonio. Camilla. Oh, Antigon- Antig- Antigonus. Antigonus. Oh, he later yes. played Antigonus. And then Camilla later. He played sort of a, he was like this nice man who took me in, who took in the street urchin. This who was, all happened before the play started. This all happened before the play started. Yeah. Amazing. And then, because he really wanted to frame it with the story, okay. uh, like, storytelling. Right, know, because. Fairy tale thing. Sure. And so then he opens this big book for me, and he starts... Like once upon a time, and then the play begins. Wow! Interesting. Remember that? No. <laughs> so, do you remember how you did the exit pursued by a bear scene? See, I wasn't even on yet. That's gonna no, always. No. I, I was a baby question. doll in a in a in a thing, you know. So. No, don't remember. It didn't no. involve us. So. I think there was the bear head. I think they had a bear suit. I think was somebody there was in a bear, bear suit. suit. Probably yeah, trying to make good. out with yeah. somebody off stage. And I think it was Joe Manganiello again. <laughs> <laughs> he was, you know, not a very big bear, as I recall. Joe wasn't a very tall, wide, but he was like burly. Okay, good. No. Anyway, <laughs> a, a bear who was, was wide rather than tall. No, not wide, but like just like burly. Yes, okay, a muscular bear, like a wrestler guy. Yes. There was a lot of attention to status, to queen and yes. kingdom. Mm-hmm. It was not like working for Oscar at the public. The only other Shakespeare I've done, which when, uh, which is Hamlet, uh, with uh, in in the park playing mom. But there was no, <laughs> but, also known as Gertrude. Yes, um, uh, but he did Oscar, the artistic director of, as you know, um, of the public now, and also that was the first time he had directed in in a couple of like at least 10 years so oh, really? he doesn't wow. because he's like that kind of guy he doesn't believe in hierarchy so it's really hard to play the queen oh. if you're not gonna if you're gonna make a command and everybody's like you know what up you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. certainly in this play that's really really important yeah and dr mason was very much about that yes, he yes. absolutely was class uh, conscious it was a, it was trying to it was set in the time Mm, as like much a, as we like could a do, medievally fairy tale yeah. kind mm-hmm. of time. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it was very much not. You know, she wasn't covered in blood from her birthing bed. Mm. Right, Hermione was right. not ripped from her bed. <laughs> I saw the um, when I when I uh, started hanging out again with uh, Patrice, who was our Paulina. Right, right. The first thing that we did was to go to the armory mm-hmm. and see. Winter's Tale. Oh, yeah, done Cute. by the RSC. Oh, yeah, in that massive cavernous space. Wow, how was that? It was great. It was great. It was powerful. It was great. Mm-hmm. It was dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, they weren't focusing on the tail part of it. They were mm-hmm. focusing on this is what happened, and she came in stained from wow. giving oh, wow. birth. So that Whoa. really, you know, and then Pauline, of course, was just this, as you put in your podcast, she's just she's just this wild firebrand. <laughs> fire, like, yeah. I will defend you unto death, you know, kind of really contemporary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's what I remember. Really? Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, I think actually talking about Hermione, the reality of Hermione giving birth while in prison and then being dragged in uh, ties into something that I know you were talking about, Mom. Yeah. Um, yes, I later played Hermione, and, and Charlotte was about four when I played Hermione. And I had really been impressed by um, um, Jim Helsinger, who's the artistic director of Orlando Shakespeare. The very mm-hmm. first time I worked with him, he did this little workshop thing. And he was talking about using breath in Shakespeare and using it uh, to to uh, find the emotion or what's happening with the with the character mm-hmm. and especially and I've got open the script from 20 years ago because this I still is have my it. My mom who yells at me for like keeping my science <laughs> notes know. from college just yeah, pulled out different. she pulled out her script 
from uh, <laughs> when she played Hermione when I was like four or five, and wow. her script from when she was in college <laughs> and played Perdita. I have wow. both. So, and, and for the record, when Charlotte tried to call her on this, Jean went, well, it's Shakespeare, it's different. It's different. <laughs> okay. But anyway, so there's a speech in, uh, it's when he's accusing her and they're yeah. about to drag her off to prison, mm-hmm. um, uh, See, act two, scene one. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, all throughout Hermione, is, she's very gracious, she's very controlled, she's very logical, she's very queenly, and, and she gives him a lot of slack. You know, she, she, it's like, you're just not feeling right right now, dear. You're, you need to think about this. You don't really mean what you're saying. And then there's a change. Mm-hmm. And um, what Jim was doing, he actually did it with a, a male actor. And I don't know. You want to experiment, Danielle? You want to try it? Uh, this speech, I mean, like, you haven't even seen I know. You haven't even looked at it. But You've been drafted. You've been drafted. So <laughs> The look of horror on my face is what okay. I wish we could share. Maybe if you want to, ju- just in here, and then just take a breath at the end of each line, and whenever you see a, uh, a punctuation, take a breath. And then it, I think it starts to lead into tell us that something's happening to her physically, and it changes the way she talks, mm. and it then in the, it changes the way she behaves in a second. So, so just start with there's some ill planet rains. And just take, take a, a breath after take every a breath. line as yeah. well. Maybe I'll point to it. Yeah, just okay. Take. There's some ill planet rains. I must be patient till the heavens look with an aspect more favorable. Good my lords, I am not prone to weeping as our sex commonly are, the want of which vain do perchance shall dry your pities. But I have that honorable grief okay, lodged. No, wait, wait. But I have that honorable grief lodged here, which burns worse than tears drown. Beseech you all, my lords, with thoughts so qualified as your charities shall best instruct you, measure me, and so the king's will be performed. And he says, shall I be heard? Who is that goes with me? Now, and right there, all of a sudden, she, she says, she asks this question of, I'm not sure if she's asking it of him, or she's, it's, it's kind of desperate. Mm-hmm. And I think she's going into labor. Yeah. Which is the choice that I made when I was playing. I As said, she's why not? Away. Right there. She's going into labor. So it's like, who's going with me? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's like, I beseech your highness, uh, my women may be with me, for you see, my plight requires it. Do not weep, good fools. There is no cause. When you shall know your mistress has deserved prison, then abound in tears as I come. And then there's this weird line where she says, as I come out, this is a colon. It may be a semicolon in the, in the folio. I don't know. As I come out, that's a weird thing. As I come out, this action I now go on. It's a prison, right? Go something happened there. As yeah. I come out, this action I now go And I think... That's a contraction. Wow. As I come, and it's a big open vowel. As I come out, you know, or do whatever you want with it, scream it, whatever. Uh, And you pick it up. As I come out. (laughs) Go ahead. You were doing so great. Uh, As I come come out, this action I now go on is for my better grace. Adieu, my lord. It's adieu, my My lord. lord. I never wished to see you sorry. Now, I trust I shall. My, and you've my, crossed out women. Nah, it's just what the director said. Oh, great. My, women. my women. Come, you now have leave. It's just you have 
leave. She doesn't wait for him to say, it's okay for your women to go with you. She says, Mm. you have leave. Because... The big, no and if I were directing, yeah. I would have the water break right there. Wow. And the, 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 <laughs> the court are... is aghast. Yes. Yeah. It's like, what the hell are you doing? And Leontes kind of stumbles, uh, go, uh, do our bidding, hence. He doesn't yeah. know what to say. You know, he just goes. <laughs> and so, then the other one, beseech your highness, call the queen again. Yeah, everyone's like, like, oh my God, what's wrong with you? That's you know, so cool. I think she, really cool. she goes That's off awesome. and has Did you hyperventilate doing it that way? Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know. I mean, yes, that would work and blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah, but you need enough air to get through but the speech. That's quite If a you take it in like that, it, ki- it kind of, um, this That's is what Jim Helsinger was saying, and he had a guy do this speech, mm. and the guy started crying. Mm-hmm. Because, Went into labor. Because he was taking all these, and when you take a baby these, right there. When someone is, is upset like yeah. that or is dealing with a physical thing and, yeah. and is taking all of those breaths, it puts you in a physical state, and yeah. I think that's why Shakespeare did it that way. Mm, that's I why he it. broke it up that way. That's why he put in the all those punctuations. How cool yeah. to get to play the part as mom now, all those years later. After well, see, I mean, you played Perdita, and yeah. now you're revisiting the play, but like as the mom, but at, and you are now a mom, right? How and, cool. and I think, you know, of course, when we come to a role like you tried it first when you were a, a college student, like had never experienced childbirth. Maybe you talked to somebody who did. I don't know. But <laughs> I think I talked to my mother. Yeah. I mean, probably. Yeah. She had childbirth. Yeah. <laughs> five, five That's times. what the rumor is. Anyway. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, you know, you come to a role with whatever life experience you've already had and yeah. that enriches however you approach it. Yeah. You know? yeah. And forever that's the thing with really great playwrights, especially uh, Shakespeare. Yeah. is that it, it, we can revisit it and it does as we get better we find more things in it that are enriched and wonderful and yeah. valuable to our it, time yeah I think the line break thing is also just such an interesting the I feel like there's such a divide in the Shakespeare world of do you mm-hmm. breathe on the line break or do you not um, and I also I remember working on Measure for Measure there was a speech that I found sort of mystifying until one day the director was like, just breathe at the end of each of these yeah. lines. Yeah. And I started weeping by the end yeah. of it oh. and realized it, it's the scene where the Duke is talking to Claudio and he's sort of rambling as the Duke does about like, be ready for death. And then with that context of like sort of getting into that emotion being like, oh, he's sort of realizing that this is going to happen to this young man because of his actions. Mm. I don't know. It's just... Crazy what it can Shakespeare, uncover. I love really, that you both got the same direction, same idea, same way to go forward with the text. I think that's great. You know, great. I, I, I don't know if you've ever seen that uh, that John Barton, remember in the 80s, the John Barton playing Shakespeare thing? Mm. It was it was on PBS or whatever. It was, R, it was the RSC. <laughs> well, I was so impressed Ma- with Margaret it. Margaret is shrugging. <laughs> no, she's nodding vigorously. She's <laughs> very familiar. Jean <laughs> liked the Brits way before I did. Yeah, <laughs> and, and Shakespeare. I mean, before you know. the Brits were cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I resented everything about them. I wanted to, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wanted to see Americans do it. I didn't want to see nobody else but Americans do it. And I have, you know. One thing that Barton said, John Barton said, was that the American accent is closer to how the Elizabethan people spoke. Mm-hmm. That kind of, that, that dropping your R's and all of that is very recent. Mm. That's not how people sounded back in Shakespeare's time. Americans sound much closer with our hard R's. With our hard mm-hmm. R's, yeah. yeah. But anyway, but he he's someone who I think first awoke me to... Uh, oh, she's woke. Watch uh, out. Uh, thinking <laughs> about how, how 
Shakespeare wrote clues in the text yeah. for actors to find, to find, you know, to make it easier to play the role. Yeah. yeah, which is something we were talking about with Winter's Tale is how there's no prose in this whole first half of it. While we're in Sicilian, we're in the court. Um, as you're saying, Margaret, it's ve- a play that's very aware of the hierarchies and the stark difference between the people of the court and all of these shepherds and much more chill people who mm-hmm. speak in prose and inhabit this Make much jokes. more comedic world where joy exists um, where it doesn't seem to exist in the world of Rich the court. Rich people don't get to feel joy. No. Um, but I, I think it's really interesting to look at the spots where he starts to mess with the verse because mm-hmm. it's almost always intentional mm-hmm. because of something emotional going on right. with the character. This is, I'm still marveling at this speech. I, I remember Something about you guys and the walls of the stage. Do you remember? Didn't you guys do things against the walls? Ooh. Do you remember that? <laughs> I just, because Scott, I I was a dance minor. It was like centrifugal force was happening, and you, you cool. and, and, and Leontes, or maybe just Leontes, I don't remember. Somebody was up against the wall. Maybe ah! it was just Scott. Do you remember? The... Somebody, I, I have pictures, but then I would do, uh, like Carousel last year, they, people from Hofstra, always lovely to see our friends from from when we were kids coming to see shows, and they bring me pictures. And so I should actually bring them, because I don't know what your collection of you as Perdita is. Uh, oh, God, I don't have, I, I don't <laughs> yeah. have any pictures. Well, I have, I have Scott and me and you. I've got a lot of oh, them, wow. but I don't remember. I wouldn't be the, you know, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if Dr. Mason had us grabbing our foreheads and reaching in the other direction. <laughs> <laughs> some sort of visit agony. Something against the, yeah, against yeah. the. Well, the, the I, don't, I don't remember, though, frankly. Yeah, the world of the cart is so high melodrama yes. in this play, and this, especially if you're doing it in sort of a like story theatery, we're telling the tale way. Um, so as long as we're talking about your college production, Mom, I've also heard you retell okay. this, your uh, wardrobe malfunction story. You remember many this? times? I don't know right remember. now. All right. Thank God she's here. I don't remember my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, there's things that you probably remember. I don't. Well, okay, we had these costumes. Uh, you remember the costumes. They were like medieval, but they were kind of slinky. Yeah, yeah. I remember being worried about holding my stomach in right. the whole show. There were 70s Keon slinky. Yeah. Like and we had these long, I had at least this long um, wig, you know, so it was, it was, yeah. And our crowns were like chair in the middle of our forehead. <laughs> yeah. Right, yes. Well, as very much like an 80s movie version of a medieval story. Right, so this was actually 70s. We're dating ourselves. No, but this was probably 78. Okay. 78 or 77? Uh, 78. I don't know. Um, so uh, in the Perdita scene, yeah. you know, she's, I remember hopping around to different, I don't remember whether I was Perdita or Perdita. I was probably Perdita. I think if so. it was Dr. Mason, yeah. yes. <laughs> and I was hopping around on these, these platforms with my flowers. And in this one production, I remember the cast was so focused on me. And I thought, how wonderful. They're all so focused on me. And they all seem to reach toward me at certain moments. And I didn't know what was going on. It was just, we're just really in the zone. No, what had happened was I had left the dressing room with a hanger stuck to the back of my costume. Oh, no. <laughs> a hanger hanging from my butt. <laughs> and everybody was trying to reach toward me to get it, and I'd flit away just in time. They couldn't get it. And I did the whole friggin' scene like that, oh my God, flitting that's around. Great. That's yes. great. Yeah, that's what I remember most. <laughs> that was show. really funny. 
Excellent. Okay, here's a a, a text question yes. for um, each of you. Okay. What is your opinion on whether or not the statue moment at the end is real magic? Mm. Mm. When the when the when Hermione statue comes to life. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, in your podcast, you refer to all this. Don't kiss it. Don't touch it. The paint mm-hmm. is wet. And we've mm-hmm. given ourselves away. That's <laughs> our opinion. Yeah, that's your opinion. I don't remember it well enough when, when we did it. I think we did it like the statue was coming to life. That mm-hmm. there was there was a sense magic. of magic yeah. in yeah. it because it was couched in a very fairy tale kind yeah. of yeah. that production. At mm-hmm. least Dr. Mason was certainly not going to give us time to create a world of sixteen years ago mm-hmm. and invest yeah. in that. What's happened in those sixteen years? Yeah. That's not yeah. his. That was never his way to direct or create. <laughs> so um, I think I remember standing as still as I could and then moving. <laughs> Yes, and I, I had to do that too. I remember that. You stand as still as you can. You try not to breathe too much. And then, you know, then they go, oh, she breathes. She's warm, you know, or whatever. Um, the role of Hermione. You know, here's what I, I thought of after listening to your podcast and, and thinking about the show. I This is one of Shakespeare's later plays, right? Mm-hmm. So he's an older man now. Mm. Um, and his daughter's growing up. Mm-hmm. Susan, is that? She was probably. Susanna. Susanna, when she was 16 Su- or something. And he spent a lot of time away from them. Yeah, Susanna and Judith were his two surviving yeah. children. Right. And his son had died. Yeah. So here's a play in which a man does something horrible to his wife. And 16 years later, he gets her back. Mm-hmm. And he's forgiven. So to me, I think it's a play about redemption and forgiveness. Mm. I think it's his wishful thinking that I've been away from my family all these years, I've, I've dissed my wife or had millions of affairs or whatever he did, Probably. and I want her to take me back, mm. and I want her to be just like she was. Ah. Mm. And um, I feel like that's, and also, you know, there's a lot of theories that perhaps Shakespeare was actually Catholic. Mm-hmm. Which would have been hidden at that time. At the time of Elizabeth, right. you wouldn't proclaim yourself you a Catholic. Mm-hmm. He might have been raised Catholic and then just said, "Oh no, I'm not Catholic." But there's Margaret. Yes. <laughs> definitely, <laughs> definitely Catholic <laughs> themes in here about redemption and forgiveness. Don't mm-hmm. you think? Absolutely, yeah. and a little male menopause and uh, <laughs> and, and the women binding together uh, in spite of, you know, the women. Which is contemporary. Yes. Uh, in my, you know, that's that's pretty good. Is so Othello was before this. Yes. Yeah. So I, I like your theory of a, a, a gentler. Yeah. You know, having explored the rages of of hormones and betrayal and uh, the the crazy madness of jealousy. Right. For mm-hmm. him to go into this world where the, everybody gets to age and she gets to hang out with her girlfriends. <laughs> she right. Hermione hangs out with her girlfriend. And I don't, I mean, do we have to absolutely assume she doesn't see her own daughter all that time? That those well, she's in another country. Yeah. You know, she's, so we do, so that's she was, she was She was dropped off in Bohemia. And, uh, so, with the bear. But again, that's yeah. the wish fulfillment idea of like, I've missed my child's yeah. childhood yes. right. and yet mm-hmm. she could return to me yeah. even better than I could have raised her and that yeah. now we can have a happy life together. And she's been raised up in this past Pastoral, beautiful place, which is like Stratford. Yeah, that his kids were. I think it's interesting. A lot of his later plays are kind of ruminating on these father-daughter relationships, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. The Tempest, which is 
a, a potentially his last play ever is all about a father and daughter living in isolation mm-hmm. and yes. this kind of like you know leaving the playwriting profession Pericles which is a bad play that I've done twice um, <laughs> is uh, very much about like reuniting with the wife and the daughter yeah, yeah it's a lot of like older sadder men yes <laughs> it's previous has plays. anybody seen the the Kenneth Branagh movie about Shakespeare's older I think it's about his last year oh not year. yet I've heard I, I, somebody told me I needed to see it. it yeah I, I wanted to isn't it, it Judy Dench too yeah, yeah. yes yes yeah, and it looks great I mean, yeah I've heard good things I just but I haven't seen it I really yeah, wanted to see it in the theater because I wanted my attention to be completely focused on the screen right, so right. I couldn't get up and go get some more wine. <laughs> yes, yeah, no, there you go. So don't <laughs> be distracted. The problem with watching But I think that home. was in the back of my head, thinking about all yeah. of this, about him older and, you know. It's interesting that you bring up the Catholic and redemption stuff because he quotes the Bible so much in all, so many of mm-hmm. his plays and I have done so few of them. But it was, it, it's, was wonderful for me as a Catholic to hear all the, you know, quoted, the Bible quoted in Hamlet. Mm-hmm. When I did that more recently than we did Winter's Tale. Yeah. And and it's, you know, I think it's um, not to the benefit of generations who don't know the Bible, who don't, they know, can get all it, of the illusions. Like, go to church, yeah, don't right. get the, don't, don't know the mm-hmm. Bible from, mm-hmm. from, in my world, it's going to church and, and studying it. And others, it would be another great book that you study because you mm-hmm. don't know the illusions and you don't, and the illustrations and the themes and how deeply it goes into these characters. And mm-hmm. you have to, you always have to think of the, the, the time period, the world in which yeah. he was writing. Mm-hmm. And, and religion was very important. Mm-hmm. Very important. I mean, this is what, Everybody believed they might, they may have worshipped differently. There were the Protestants and the Catholics, and you know, and there's a few Jews in there. But, um, but they Jews um, were Jews real. Just I'm a Jew. They were there. They were there. there. I'm half. But um, you know, uh, this was these were very important issues that were very real and alive. Yeah. And and and. If you're going to do Shakespeare, you have to at least know what he's alluding to, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. A- as well as the the classical allusions he makes. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. Which I was trying to explain this to one of my uh, students the other day as she stared at me in with a completely blank expression, um, asking me to help her with her <laughs> Romeo and Juliet test the next day. But um, I was saying like, well, a lot of why you don't understand Shakespeare, like yes, some of the vocab we don't get, but a lot of it is just the references are really not as much a part of our contemporary pop culture um whereas something that to an elizabethan audience would have been like oh ha 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 diane yes the huntress goddess of course lol yeah that's not um and even just like pop culture references that we may never know because they're totally lost to time right right like my theory that friar lawrence is based off of a real guy (laughs) there was some friar who was just prescribing roofies yeah up and down the country that's my my fan theory is that it was a drag on a pop culture and yet for all of that yes he's still such a great studier and a presenter of 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 the human condition oh yeah all can relate to that yeah you know Mm -hmm. absolutely um even crazy leontes I mean, come on. Every day you, you hear something awful on the news where some woman, her estranged husband has, has shot her yeah. you know, or mm-hmm. something. And out of crazy jealousy. Yeah. You know, it's a real thing. Yeah. And his friends. And his friends stand by him. Yeah. Mm. That all of the men, even Antigonus, who's like, my wife is awesome. She's such a badass witch. He's still like... But of course, yeah, I guess I'll leave your baby in the wilderness to die. Because you told me to, and it's my job. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know how much you can bring modern sensibilities to that because it, it. I'm going with your guys' idea that it's a tale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a story it's for a cold winter's night. It's mm-hmm. a, yeah, yeah. Yes. So uh, at least he didn't. When we look at those tales, at least he didn't kill her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's and true. So, you you know, can we definitely give, yeah. play him a couple of different. And then ways. he gets his one up. He gets it. The bear eats him, right? So he does yeah. get eat. Oh, that's right. Uh, Mom, how is the bear played in your more recent? Yes, production? do you remember, do you remember that? that bear? Yeah, your more recent. The production. more recent one. God, I don't. No one remembers <laughs> the bear. No one the bear. <laughs> I'm sure we had a bear. Uh, Guys, email us your best versions you know, of bears that been, you've seen in Winter's Tale. I'd have to ask Russell Trays. He directed it. If mm. I did it, I'd have an offstage bear. Mm. Yeah. Would you just, ha- just, you like just a bunch have of some growling and have him run away? A, a projection, maybe. A projection <laughs> or just a couple of claws that come out. The big oh, just claws, the claws. Just the claws come out. <laughs> like you know? puppets in, in Lion King. Yeah. Okay. Good. Oh, I like a Lion you wouldn't King. Do, you wouldn't do Ivan Van Hoho. You wouldn't do that with the, the camera going all over the place. And the, no. I think it would be fun just like a human with like a, a, like a labyrinth like bear head piece coming yes. out. That'd be very But you play fun. the Lion King. Music and they do sort of a Julie Taymor choreography. Julie Taymor bear. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yes. Hey, and yeah. then the sheep are also Julie Taymor people on stilts. Yes. Um, Poor thing. Well, uh, <laughs> but again, the enormous tolerance of the of, of the women of the crazy men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's yep. just yes. yeah. I get. I think in in Shakespeare you get two. You get maybe three women who have no tolerance. Mm. Well, you've got Paulina. I mean, right. the outspoken. But I mean, outside of this play, oh, no, Paulina is a warrior queen. But you She's know, great. there is that that Paulina type character in so many of his plays. Mm-hmm. You know, there's Kate in Shrew. There's there's Beatrice in Much Ado. Mm-hmm. There's even Adriana in Lady um, M. Lady M. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Adriana in uh, um, Comedy of Errors. Uh, Comedy of Errors. Yeah, that outspoken, you know, sharp tongue, takes no crap woman. Yeah, and. He knew that woman. I have a feeling it might have been his wife. <laughs> That's my poor's mistress. You know, um, or he no. certainly knew he wanted to give that that stand up for yourself voice uh, that was feminine a, a role in his place. Yeah, it wasn't the guy. It yeah. was the, yeah. it was the the female. Although it's interesting to see how different her fate is. Like yeah, if we think of that as one play. archetype, we get you know the sort of one end of like the suicide Lady M, and yeah. then we get the other end of like happy ending Paulina I guess yeah she gets to marry um, some random she has, guy she has to marry Camillo yeah so. <laughs> which if he's just you're gonna marry Hill him nobody asked ending. her if that was okay or you know <laughs> she doesn't talk again after Leontes <laughs> <laughs> is like and marry Camillo they're just making out the rest of the play you know now there have been some productions where Paulina uh, no uh, where Perdita and Hermione are played by the same actress. How wow. do you do that? Do you I do don't know end? how they do that. Well, I I imagine the statues played by some stand-in. Mm. You do the like witching into the woods. And get maybe someone maybe to wear she's her gown always in a veil, and, and the veil way. never comes oh. off, or something like that. But there's some in in the back of my. Arden Shakespeare. Uh-huh. Mm. They were mentioning these these productions that were done in like the 1800s and when there was some really famous one where this actress played both parts and it was like everyone thought that was amazing. Yeah, I think oh. that would be fun. But they also <laughs> they also said that um, for like a hundred years people only did the second half. Wow. Yeah, they cut the first part completely. It's like when you hear about people doing only the first act of Into the Woods. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or just Romeo and Juliet, but not them dying. Yeah. Um, yeah, during like the, maybe it was like the 1700s, they, they only crazy. did, they called it Florizel and Perdita, or Perdita and Florizel. And it was just the sheep shearing. Sometimes it was called the sheep shearing. That's you know. Yeah. 
Take the parts you like. That's it. They just like did that, <laughs> you know. So. And some McCready or somebody said, "No, I'm going to do the whole thing." And then, then they went, oh "My God, that's amazing!" You know. It's brilliant. So does that so apply to how we're doing? We're relooking at looking again at uh, Carousel at uh, West Side Story. Mm-hmm. We're taking out. Exactly. Does it apply? Yeah. Is it the same kinda, thing? Kinda. Well, yeah, I don't know. Have you seen the new West Side Story? I was at the invited dress. From what I hear. You know, it's an ambulance every night, as the snarky <gasps> people say. Whoa. But, so I, I think it's changed a lot since uh, Invited Dress. Dress. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I mean, there, there are songs cut, and they cut songs from Carousel. And, I, you know, so I, I, I think... I think it. Um, I tend to get my back up a little bit because I want to. I, you know, I think you should just commit to trying to do these musicals, is because we all look forward to hear the song, hearing the songs. But what you're saying, if they took, if in the history of production of Winter's Tale, they just took half of it and showed the people what they want. <laughs> yep. Then I'm a little uh, behind the centuries here. <laughs> well, I think it, Shakespeare. That's what happened to Shakespeare a lot. Yeah. Uh, at the restor- after the 1600s, the Restoration, when they kind of brought theater back. Um, people just picked and choose what they liked from Shakespeare yeah. and, and rewrote it at will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they really didn't honor that, no, no, we need to serve the playwright. You know, mm-hmm. That came much later. I think, I think in the 1800s they, they began to really honor him. And now we're messing him up again. <laughs> you know? He can take it. Yeah, well. What productions have you all seen lately? Oh, gosh. That's like Shakespeare? Just yeah, anything. Shakespeare. Shakespeare. I mean, Danielle's in. I was going to say, I'm in drunk Shakespeare, so I see that one every day. She's Lady Anne. Yeah, I've seen that a few times. Now that one I've seen. Yeah, that may be the most recent I've seen. This is the most recent one. Oh, oh, of course. Um, John, uh, my husband, John, Charlotte's dad. uh, He did Henry IV, Part One. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Out at uh, Pennsylvania Shakes last summer, of course playing Falstaff, which he's done many, many times. Brilliant. Um, but they did it, um, what do they call it? Um, original practices. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just a cheap way of doing Shakespeare. <laughs> There's no director, so you don't have to pay a director. Oh, say it again. Yeah, no director. Oh, yeah, you'd love it. You'd love it. And um, the actors have to, though, kind of memorize before they come in because they only get five days. Oy. They get five days rehearsal. And they run it. It's almost like a contest thing. They run to the costume shop and pick their own costumes, and they they kind of throw together whatever set and props they need. Wow. They sit and watch each other and say, "Ah, uh, you're in his way. Maybe you'd better move over here." You know, kind of direct each other. Mm-hmm. And you know what? They're great productions. Oh you would gosh. not know there was no director. They're really good. Do they run to the end of the stage and take a bow? I mean, do they go that far? Or do they try to make it realistic on stage, like realistic it's, behavior? You just think you're doing or a doing the scene, a production. The, the scene is actually. I mean, when I say they they watch each other, that's during rehearsal. Oh. But, but in the actual production, you're just seeing a production. The, the audience has no idea really how this has been done. Oh, Although they say it's original practices, blah 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 blah. But um, it's always very fresh, oh, and fun. the costumes are always this kind of weird melange of, of you know of what of they felt periods or whatever they picked up and it's always done on whatever set is there it's yeah. usually the children's show set <laughs> they do it in their smaller space and actually he just finished cutting Henry IV Part Two, and they're going to do that this summer and he's going to do false step again if he doesn't get a better job but yeah he's going to do false step again <laughs> so um, any closing thoughts about the winter's tale before we wrap up here love to see it again with you that would be yeah. really fun oh in it 
<laughs> all, I, see it. all I see you in it. I don't need to do it again. I'm good. I'd love to, I'd love to do Polina. You know, now ah. I've done the Hermione and I've done Britta. I'd love to do Polina. How about any of the men's roles? Would you like to put some pants oh, yeah. on? Sure. Yeah. I've actually had some auditions for men's. I don't know if you in, in Winter's Tale? Not in Winter's Tale, no. Yeah, you know, it would be tough in Winter's Tale because it is, there's such a demarcation between mm-hmm, the yeah. male and the female worlds. Mm-hmm. It would be a little weird, but you could, I don't know, I don't maybe. Know. A, a female Leontes would be really interesting. That would be intense. It would be really interesting. I feel like a female Camilla would be fun, and then Pauline is just a closeted lesbian the whole time. <laughs> sure, why not? I'd see that why, why not? Yeah. Why not? <laughs> why um, not having the girls find the love, where, the women find the love where they can? Why not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. The, the men of Cecilia aren't, aren't really... Cutting it. No, the women really it. come come through in this play. I think you yeah. know the women are the heroes. Yeah, and the men are kind of messed up and needed need to be fixed. And, <laughs> and they learn. Yes, they do learn. They do, they do learn. learn, and they do change. They repent, which they repent. is what. And Florizel's very. Florizel's very great. I'm on board with Florizel. <laughs> very cute. Very devoted. I get down with Florizel. I mean, yeah. that's what you need in great drama: is the characters to change, mm-hmm. and they do. One more question. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because you are holding the, the book from when you were in college. Yeah. What is your your best note that's just in <laughs> there? I oh, see all okay. of these handwritten notes. <laughs> Great question. I would oh, yeah. love just like a oh, couple yeah. there of, one I just if there are that. any gems. Wait. Um, 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 oh, here we go. Okay. Don't listen to Margaret. It says, forced gaiety, abandoned to the moment. <laughs> that's um, a good note. Snap, 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 snap. Yeah. Okay. Flowers of July. I know what that means. <laughs> In basket. <laughs> no. Like a bridal bouquet. You know, she does deal a lot with flowers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like the inverse Ophelia. Flower work. It's true. Yeah. I know she has that very long Ophelia monologue. But hers is happy. But yes, it's she, very much. But, but it's, she's, it's cheery. She's fine. It's if Ophelia had taken her meds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Transformed. Oh, yeah. Transformed. Transformed. Oh, yeah. Between 120 and 125. Get it. Yeah, I guess yes. something happens to her there. Well, she says something about if, if you know, not I'm dressed up in this funny costume, I feel a little different. Mm. You know? yeah, yeah. She's showing her princessy stuff. Yes. So, there we go. Thank you. No, I love that. That's perfect. <laughs> um, so, thank you, Jean Taffler and Margaret Cullen. Do you have any projects that you're currently in that we could see this upcoming theater season? Mm-hmm. Wait, yes. swallow. <laughs> I'm in uh, Richard Greenberg's new play, The Perplexed, at Manhattan Theatre Club, directed by Lynn Meadow. And um, we start performances um, end of February 2020 at uh, City Center. Excellent. Mm-hmm. And I'll be doing a play called About Love, uh, uh, written and directed by Will Pomerantz. Uh, I forget the name of the woman who did the composing, but there's also music. It's a play with music. It's based on a Tigurnev novella. Mm. And I think it's really charming and lovely, and it'll be done at the Sheen Center. And we also go into previews around February twenty fourth. Excellent. Yeah. So you'll just a battle of the place. Yeah, I don't know if we'll get to see each other's <laughs> well, shows. Well, we'll check the matinee <laughs> schedule. Yeah, yeah. each other's off. dress rehearsals. Yeah, staggered those off nights. Awesome. Well, yes. Thank you. Thank ladies. you guys. Thank so you. Much. How fun yes. to be here with you. Yeah. <laughs> so intelligent, so informed about this material. It was a really great learning opportunity for me, and you made me laugh more than twelve times. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Thank Bravo. you. Bravo. We're going yes. Can we put that on on our? We're gonna put that. Barbara Collins says they made me laugh more, <laughs> more than twelve times. times. <laughs> Guaranteed, at least thirteen. Thanks for giving us meatballs, Mom. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Burr. Ooh. 
I'm so glad that we're finished this coziest of podcasts. I'm now wrapped in a warm Look, quilt. Outside, it's spring now. Yeah. That's and actually, a- it was like 60 degrees the other day. Hashtag global which warming. Which is probably more troubling. That yeah. would be a, well, not a fun production. That would be a production to do like kind of post-apocalyptic Winter's Tale. Yeah, it's Winter's Tale where it's just global warming's happening really rapidly. And actually, the second part also takes place in the winter, but like 20 years later. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Oh, yeah. Oh, dark. Yeah, that's dark. You you can have that. Yeah, somebody (laughs) can do that. I don't want it. Uh, Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. Yeah, thanks, you guys. Thank you. You guys. You you didn't have to do this. You made it all the way to this part. (laughs) I'm not going to say anything else that's important. Email us at whatyouwillpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at what underscore you underscore will underscore podcast. You sound unsure. I'm not. But I believe you. I'm positive. Um, We also made a Twitter. We made a Twitter. We did it. We have no tweets yet. But we might by the time this comes out. Um, And that's at whatyouwillcast, I believe, I think. Because whatyouwillpod is taken. So also, whoever took whatyouwillpodcast and whatyouwillpod, can we have it back? Rude. Um, And thank you to uh, Margaret Cullen and Jean Taffler for being on our podcast. Margaret Cullen is uh, best known for her roles in Gossip Girl and Veep and Independence Day and many other things. Um, So we're very honored that she came on our illustrious podcast to talk about Winter's Dale. And my mom is uh, best known for being in over 30 Shakespeare plays in her lifetime trotting the boards and also for being my mom and uh, she's best known for being having having um, more Shakespeare plays and Shakespeare accoutrement than uh, most other moms that I know. And she also made us meatballs. She did. She made us so many snacks. She made us a lot of snacks. Which you couldn't see from listening to the podcast. It was kind of overwhelming. Um, There was quite a spread. Thanks, uh, Jade. Thank you, Mom. I love you. And thank you, listener. I also love you. We love you. And we'd love you even more if you please share this podcast with your friends and your enemies. Um, tell them to mm-hmm. listen. Uh, truly, word of mouth is the best way that stuff like this gets spread. And have a very wintry night. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs>